Hello Kensington, we've made it to the eighth month of 2020. That's something to celebrate, am I right? We have four months to turn this thing around. In all seriousness, we're grateful you're all here in person or watching online. Being together as a church is the highlight of my week and I wouldn't have been able to get through this season without this family. For those of you that don't know me, my name's Thaddeus and I'm the breakaway director at the Troy campus. If you're checking us out for the first time or you're relatively new, we're super glad you're here. Please introduce yourself by texting hello to 248-781-2771. You can also learn more about who we are by visiting our website at kensingtonchurch.org and by downloading the Kensington Church app. And of course, you can stay connected 24-7 on all our social media channels. This Sunday is kind of a big deal. Our Birmingham campus is back in action at their temporary gathering location, the Royal Oak Imagine Theatre. Rumor has it they're all going to be in recliners, so we'll make sure the messages are lively enough to avoid accidental slumbers. So this means all campuses are offering an in-person service currently. Man, it feels good to be back. Speaking of being back in action, we're excited to tell you about three opportunities for family fun this summer. This Wednesday, our Traverse City campus is hosting Circles on the Lawn from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. They'll be enjoying a physically distanced picnic, a message from Joel, the lead pastor, worship, and activities for kids. If you're not a part of the Traverse City campus, it'll be totally worth the four-hour drive and a visit to the Cherry Republic. And the following week, on August 12th, Troy and Orion campus are teaming up for a special midweek on the East Lawn at the Troy campus. Everyone is invited. The message and worship kick off at 7 p.m., but bring a picnic and come early. Don't forget a lawn chair or blanket. We'll have plenty of space to keep a safe physical distance while still enjoying plenty of community time. This service will be streamed for all of us to enjoy as well. Then on August 19th, the Clinton Township campus is having an indoor midweek service, which will be streamed as well. More information on any of our Wednesday night events in August can be found at kensingtonchurch.org slash Wednesday. All right, let's get to our Remember series. We love you all, we're here for you, and grateful to be in this together. Well, good morning, Kensington. Let's all go ahead and stand as we worship and we celebrate Jesus today.
Giant, cause I know how 
standing, you're standing. How's that work? No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to make you do it. But I want to pray. And I'd rather have you stand as I pray because um, I just want you to. And I was, I was thinking as I was singing that song now for the second time this morning, actually third in rehearsal, um, it can sound pretty pretentious to say, I'm going to see a victory when you don't see one. It, right? It's like, what are you singing this for? But here's the thing. We're not singing, I'm going to see a victory and get what I want. That's not what God promises. He's not going to give us what we want. It might, might not, but he does promise, I'm in it. I will bring victory somehow. I will turn bad into good, evil into good. Trust me, hang on. The victory may look totally different than you think. It might be this miracle and it's just what you prayed for. It may be totally different and maybe look like it didn't happen, but God says the victory has already been done. I've got it. You can live in it. Whether it turns out the way you want or not, you can live in it. And that's the victory we just sang about. And he does promise 
to turn darkness into light. So I want to pray because I'm guessing some of you, including me, are struggling through this time. And you would love for the words we just sang to be real in your life. And they can be. So let's pray. Father God, thank you, first of all, for breath. We take it for granted, but we are alive right now because of a gift of life from you. So we say thank you and we're grateful for this day, even a day of rain. We are grateful to be alive and to be right here right now. And I know thousands are watching online. And Lord, we need a word from you regarding what victory looks like in the middle of a valley, in the middle of a struggle. And I know there's some right here really hurting right now. So Lord, I pray that you would speak today and you give us ears to hear you and just as importantly, feet to walk it out when we leave here today. It's so easy to sit here and listen and say amen and nod our head. It's another thing to live it out in the struggle of life. So God, I pray not only that we'd be hearers, but we'd be doers. So Jesus, Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak and we will obey. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can be seated. Unless you want to stand the whole time with me. I'm kidding. Um, I was going to say give somebody a hug, but you're not allowed to do that right now. Uh, and I do want to say thank you for wearing your mask. That's an that's a honor that you've obeyed that, and we said we'd do that, and you're doing that, so thank you for that. And uh, we're jumping into uh, sort of the third week of the Joshua series, which is uh, called Remember. Last week was sort of a step aside as we sort of had an important announcement. Most of you probably were either here or watched it. And if you missed last week, boy, go watch it because the future of Kensington was talked about and my future and Ann's future and Cody's future, all that was all wrapped up uh, sort of last week. So that's, that's, that's critical. And I also want to say this. We're, we're not taking an offering during this time, as you probably know, last uh, several weeks because we're not passing a pouch to be safe and we're not passing communion and that kind of stuff. So our offering is all digital and that's how you do it. And many of you do what I do. In my family, we've been doing this for, I don't know, three or four or five years now. And we give digitally. And many of you do that. Why do I know that? Because our giving has been strong during this pandemic, which is a miracle, you know. And so I thank you for that. But if you're brand new and you're like, man, I would like to give. I believe in this mission. It's very simple and it's very safe. And that's the way to do it. So here we are week three. We're going to hit a story that if you've been around church world at all in your life, you've probably heard about the walls of Jericho falling down. How many know what I'm talking about? All right, it's in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Joshua. It's this epic miracle that, that takes place in, uh, you know, ch- chapter six of Joshua. And, you know, we started two, three weeks ago saying, you know, when you're in a, in a, in a present or a future uncertainty, what do you do? You got to remember God's faithfulness in the past. That's what I said three weeks ago. Two weeks ago, Craig McGlasson was here talking about, man, when you, when you need any God to show up, you need to take a step of faith, a little step of faith. And the Jordan River parted and they went through. Well, now they have an enemy in the area, in the land, the promised land where God said, I'm going to give it to you. And the only way you're going to get it is you've got to conquer this enemy. And they are fortified in, in, a, in a place. These, this is the wall right here. This is the walls of Jericho. You should be laughing. It's a joke. I mean, it's a lot bigger. In fact, you're, I'm going to show you a video that we made because you'll get a sense of how big the walls really were. And we know this because archaeologically they've been found. It's all been dug up and we know the story uh, that's in the Bible is somewhat true based on what we say. But here's the thing. If you're like me and you're wired sort of skeptically, you hear stories like they blew a trumpet and the walls fell down. You go, yeah, okay, that's Bible stuff. Kids believe that. But that isn't really probably how it really happened. It's probably just an exaggeration or something, but it probably didn't go just like that. So we made a video 
to help you sort of think it through, like, do these kind of stories in the Bible, are they true or are they not true? And how should we think about it? So this will help us sort of set the stage. Watch this. There are many stories in the Bible that have scientists, archaeologists, scholars, and people like you and me scratching our heads and asking the question, did that really happen? I mean, you have Noah's Ark with the flooding of the whole earth and all those animals. Jonah being swallowed by a big fish and living inside the fish's belly for three days. And then you have Jericho. Well, what do you think of when you hear the word Jericho? More than likely, it has something to do with this big wall and this gentleman named Joshua. You may have learned about the story through Veggie Tales. Keep walking, but you will knock down our wall. Keep walking, but she isn't gonna fall. Or maybe you're familiar with this version. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, and the walls come a-tumbling down. Everybody, snap your fingers. All right, catch your tune. But... Where we should look probably at the story is in the actual Bible. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. Then there was something about swords, women, and children. It got pretty nasty. So scratching your head yet? Marching around the city, trumpets, shouting, and walls come tumbling down. Well, first, let's take a look at the walls. Well, not literally. They collapsed, remember? But here is what we know. Jericho had a steep embankment that surrounded the whole city. The city was roughly nine acres in size with a few thousand people living in it. At the base of the embankment was the retaining wall, which stood about 15 feet high. On top of that was a mud brick wall that was six feet thick and stood 25 feet high. Then on top of the embankment stood another mud brick wall whose base was 45 feet above ground level. It was certainly impenetrable for that time. So how in the world did it fall at that precise time? There are a couple theories floating around out there. The first theory is, well, the whole thing is just a bunch of hogwash. Well, there have been several discoveries of Jericho throughout the years. The first discovery happened in 1868, and several excavations after found the remains to be just as the Bible described thousands of years earlier. Earthquake! Well, that's a simple answer and a good possibility. Earthquakes are quite common in that area. But if it's an earthquake, then why all the marching and yelling? Maybe it has to do with God's timing and the Israelites' obedience. Imagine how much their faith must have grown after doing a seemingly absurd task for seven days and then seeing God come through. I'm sure Joshua's confidence in God took a huge leap as well. Then there's the Paltz theory. In April 1831, a brigade of soldiers marched in step across England's Broughton Suspension Bridge. According to the accounts of the time, the bridge broke apart beneath the soldiers, throwing dozens of men into the water. So after this happened, the British Army reportedly sent new orders. Soldiers crossing a long bridge must break stride or not march in unison to stop such a situation from occurring again. Without going into too much detail regarding kilohertz, accelerometers, and amplitude time charts, here it is in a nutshell. Structures, like bridges and buildings, although they appear to be solid and immovable, have a natural frequency of vibration within them. So, six days of marching in time with several thousand troops, 
Seven times around on the seventh day with a unified trumpet blast and a roar from the troops in unison could have messed with all those frequencies. God knew something that nobody else did. After all, he did create everything. So there it is. Just a few theories and things to think about in regard to the story of Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. Question is, what does this story that happened over 3,400 years ago tell us about God? And what does it mean for us today? Tread lightly. You know, I got to tell you, you guys, are, you guys are engaged. Nobody laughed at the first service at Tread Lightly. You caught it, right? It's a great way to end that video. But isn't that interesting? You know, as you consider how this might have happened, we don't know. We really don't know. Was it an earthquake? Was it this vibration boom thing? Did God go, and just, we don't know. But what's really interesting, and again, I like this kind of stuff. I'm, a, I'm the guy that's wired, like, I don't believe it unless I see it. And, I, you know, you say God spoke, I got to, you know. I'm that guy, and so I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but I always am looking and digging for evidence. Well, when you dig in that area, and many of you know this, archaeologists for years, for decades said it didn't happen. We have not found walls that would resemble that kind of story. And then, as Mike mentioned, in the 1800s, they kept digging around there, and they're like, actually, we found walls exactly that fit going down the way the Bible says it did. In fact, you want to really get into this, and again, this isn't the point of my sermon today, but this kind of stuff interests me. There's one part of the wall on the north side that doesn't fall like the other parts. And they're like, I don't understand if they all fell, why does this one section seem to have stood longer and went down a different way? And some of you know the backstory, know that the spies that Rahab, who lived in the wall, said to them, I'm going to give you information that's going to be very helpful, but you got to protect my life. And they made a promise. We will not let you and your family be killed. Be in the wall when we come, and we will protect that part of the wall. Interesting that archaeologists don't even know the story, but they said something different happened in this one section that's near the mountains where when it went down, probably that's where Rahab was. They were able to get to see. Anyway, fascinating. And people say nothing in the Bible is true. It's like, well, go talk to archaeologists. Many of them aren't even believers, but they're like, Everything in the Bible, this is our textbook to know the history because it's all there and we've dug up stuff. So anyway, that's just like a footnote. But, but here's the thing I find really interesting. Here's all I want to do today. And I bet you, you know, you know, being around church world and being in ministry over 40 years, I bet you I've heard at least 50 sermons on the walls of Jericho. Maybe you have as well. So what I say today, I got to be honest with you, is going to be influenced by some of the things I've heard from great preachers, all right? And if you've said, well, I think I've heard that before, so I stole it from somebody. I don't even know who, all right? Because there's so many great thoughts. And all I want to do is what Mike said is, what can we learn from this story? All right, I'm assuming that you're with me and say, okay, I, I, I'm going to say it. It happened. So what are some life lessons? And I think this story applies so appropriately to the life we're all living right now. And so I'm not going to read you the whole story because uh, you heard mu much of it from Mike in, in the video. But I want to take it back to the first two verses. Because if you're like me, you missed something that was right there in verse 1 and 2 that I didn't see till actually this week. And I'll read it to you again. It says in verse 1, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out, no one came in. Now you actually have a visual in your mind, right? We have two walls here. Do you notice that? First service, Alicia only built me one wall, but now she's like, oh, I'm going to be historically accurate. So we have two walls. Now, obviously, you know, they were massive, six feet wide, 15 feet high, 30 feet high, massive walls, right? And they were secured. Why? Because they were afraid of the nation of Israel. They heard the stories about the Red Sea and the Jordan River. They knew if that 
nation comes in, we're done. So no one could go out. The, the doors and the, the walls were locked. No one's leaving. No one lets anybody in. Not going to happen. So what we're finding in verse 1 is there's no way these walls are going down. All right? And so Joshua's like, okay, it's, there's, it, there's no chance. And then look at verse 2. I bet you didn't catch this because I missed this too. It says, then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. Now, what's important to notice there? Verb tense. Guys, remember English? When I went to seminary and started to take Greek, the first day of seminary Greek class, they gave us an English test to see how well we knew English before we could start taking Greek. We all failed. I'm not kidding. We all failed. Like, what's a, a pluperfect tense of a verb? What's a perfect tense of a verb? What's a present aorist? We didn't even know. I never knew. I couldn't diagram a sentence. I can now. I learned English and then Greek. But here's the thing. Do you know what a past tense is in, a, in language? Is this uh, a phrase that God says to Joshua? Present tense, past tense, future tense. Anybody? I have given you Jericho. Past tense. It's already happened. Joshua's like, wait, wait, wait. I can see the city. <laughs> No, you haven't given me. He says, no, I have given you. Now, if somebody says to you something that's going to be in the future and they're a person, they say it's already happened, you just look like they're crazy. Like, dude, you may hope that, but you don't know that. God says, I know this, and it's a done deal. When God says it, what do you say? Okay, it's done. So he's telling Joshua, this is already done. You just have to step into it. But it's done. In the past, it's done. So here's what, here's what hit me. I literally wrote it in my notes. I wrote... So what do you do when what you see is different than what God says? That's what hit me in verse 1 and 2. It's like, wait, wait, wait. I see a city. There's no way we're going to take it. God says it's already been done. What do you do when what you see in your life is different than what you believe God is saying? In fact, I wrote down, here's a key question. Write this down if you want to. And you've got to answer, and I've got to answer this question, I think, every day. Will we trust what we see or what God says? Key question for your life and my life, whether we're in a pandemic or not. Will we trust what we see or what God says? That is a question of faith. That is a question that will drive your life. In fact, here's another way I I sort of come up with the truth out of this. And here's my way of saying this. When all we see are, are obstacles, we need to look vertical. If all you're seeing in your life are obstacles and giants in your life and walls build up and there's no way this marriage is gonna make it, there's no way this disease is going away, there's no way I'm gonna ever have enough money to live on, there's no way I'm ever gonna get married, you can name it, no way I'm gonna beat this addiction. If all you see is obstacles, obstacles, and here's what we do, we tend to focus our eyes on the problem. And when I say go vertical, that's my way, you know, vertical marriage. That's me saying, no, 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 you, you got to take your eyes off the problem. The problem's huge. The problem's a giant named Goliath. You need to look at the God who says, I've got this. And if you keep looking here at the problem and not the promise of God, you're going to go down. And you're going to be discouraged and you're going to wake up at night and it's going to be a horrible life. But if you can, and it's, and it's hard, it's really hard to do because the, the problem is so big. And sometimes our God is so small because we don't see him doing anything. And so the, the giant gets bigger and our God shrinks. Some of you old enough to remember Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Remember that movie? I think the story of a lot of lives is Honey, I Shrunk Our God. And I wrote as, as sort of a sub point of this, that, you know, when, we, when all we see are obstacles, we need to look vertical. I thought one of the life messages from me, if you've been around Kensington five years or 30 years, you've heard me say this statement 
many times. I hope when you talk about me next year after I'm gone or five years from now, you will remember this is one of Dave Wilson's life's themes. It, it sort of crept in almost every message. And it's, it's, it's the size of your God concept, which I learned early in my Christian walk that it was very important. When I was in seminary, I'll never forget hearing Howard Hendricks preach, and he said, there are little godders and there are big godders. And we're like, what are you talking about? And he goes, the truth is God is huge. God is awesome. God is majestic. There are not enough adjectives to describe the, the grandeur of our God. He's majestic. He's awesome. He's incredible. If we saw him right now, we would fall on our face at the, the, the vastness of who he is. He's huge. So he's not little, but there are little godders and big godders because on planet earth, there are people who believe he's big. They're called big godders. And there are people that have shrunken down. They're little godders. And when I heard that back in my 20s, I'm like, I want to be a big godder. And so I developed a statement that I think is true. I, I, you can push back against say, I don't know if it's true. I think it's true. The size of your God will determine the outcome of your life. I really believe that. The size of your God will determine the outcome of your life. I, and by the way, I did not say the size of your faith. There's people that will tell you, if you have enough faith in God, it's never in the Bible. In fact, Jesus said, how much faith do you need? Anybody? Faith the size of a mustard seed. If you've ever seen one, they're, they're minuscule. He's like, that's the size of your faith that matters. The size of your God. Let me tell you, you can have the greatest, biggest faith in the world in a tiny little infinite God. Nothing's, nothing's going to happen. You have just a little bit of faith, almost like, God, I can barely believe this. I'm just holding on. I'm just holding on here. But I, but, 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 but I believe you, you are big enough to do something. God says, size of your faith. I mean, the size of your God will determine the outcome of your life. Hold on. And again, the outcome may not be what you want. It may be totally different, but it will be a life of seeing God meet you, sometimes in miraculous, unbelievable story ways, sometimes in the dark, and it's just hard and grinding, and you're just scratching and scrolling, and yet you come on and go, God was with me. I don't know how I got through it, but he made it there. Why? Because my God is massive, not small. And I tell you, you can live your life any way you want, but I hope you're not a little godder. I hope you become a big godder. And by the way, some of you, if you really want to go there, you're thinking, okay, help me. How do I become a big godder? Anybody know? There's really two ways. Open the word of God and start reading it. You think I'm doing that so you get brownie points with God? No, I'm telling you, when you read the word of God daily, study it, you, get, you begin to see, oh my goodness, I've done this thousands of times in the last 40 years. Like, oh, look what he did. I forgot. You read stories like this, you're like, did that happen? Yeah. Can he tear down walls in my life? Yeah, he did it then. He can do it again. We're going to sing that at the end. It's like you just, your view of God gets bigger. You don't need more faith. You just need this. I used to pray. I literally used to pray, God, give me more faith. I never prayed anymore. I pray, God, let me see you as you are. Help me see you as I are. He goes, open my words. You'll see me right there I am. So you need to do that, and then you need to step. So you can talk about God, and you can read about it all day, but until you take a step of faith, you never see it. And then you take a step of faith, you have stories. Have you ever got to the point where you're like, I don't want hear everybody else's miracle testimony. I want one. Well, you don't have one unless you, two weeks ago, take a step. But we're too afraid to do it, so we have somebody else come up on stage and go, wow, look what God did there. Well, he can do those kind of things in your life. You've got to take a step. Say, so it comes back to this, this view. The size of your God will determine the outcome of your life. Think about this. When we started Kensington 30 years ago, everybody told us it won't work. Are you kidding me? You got 40 people. You got no, I mean, it was just like, it won't work. we're going to try and reach unchurched men. You're going to try and reach people that don't go to church. Yeah, we don't care about church people. We want people that don't go to church. Are you nuts? Who does that? 
You're not going to have good music. You know, Mark, Mark Nell's saying, we're going to have excellence in the arts. Our arts are going to be so good, the people in the theater are going to come and want to be at our church. <laughs> that never happens at church. The people who play the keyboards have mittens on. So it's like, we're going to do that. Are you laughing? I don't know. You got those things over your face, I can't even hear you. But, you know, it's like, it's like that was our dream, right? And everybody just laughed at us. Other churches laughed at us. And what did we have? We had a little bit of faith and a big God and a call. And if we looked at the obstacles, there were all around us. It's like, yeah, I think they're right. Who are we? What are we doing? We don't have a... And we kept saying, let's not look at the problem. Let's look at the promise. And we kept saying, God, you got to show up. God, you got to show up. You know, it's interesting. I didn't say this first service, but last week when you watched the video of Steve or Steve and Danny and I talking about the future, and uh, do you remember that uh, the first sermon I preached at, at Kensington was on sex? Anybody remember that? Because Steve would never do that, and he never has. But anyway, and so I don't. What was really interesting that day is this, the sermon was called "Sex." What a great idea! And I give my first sermon ever at Kensington. By the way, in a suit with a tie. That's how we started. That was the culture then. I was literally playing electric guitar in the band, and, but, but if I'm going to walk from the guitar and lead solo on Aerosmith and to walk up to the thing, I had to put a jacket on. I wouldn't, wasn't allowed to preach unless I was formally in a jacket. It's unbelievable. Anyway, so I walk up there, and after the sermon, this guy comes walking up to me. We're in a little cafeteria at East Hills Middle School, and everybody's left, and he starts walking. And as I'm looking at him, thinking, dude, this guy looks like a guy who hasn't been in church in forever. And I wasn't judging him, but I just sort of had this sense. And he walks up to me. His name was Mike. I'll never forget this. First sermon, fifth week of Kensington. He walks up and goes, dude, that was one blank of a sermon. And he cursed. And today, the best compliment I've ever gotten about a message. And he shakes my hand. And I go, really? I go, tell me your story. You, you've been here before? He goes, blank, No. I haven't been to church in 20 years. He goes, I came here because my wife came last week while I was home in bed. I go, really? Yeah, she came. She came home. She literally walked in the house, stood at the foot of the bed. I was still in bed and said, honey, you need to go to this church. It's different than any church you've ever been to. He goes, I'm not going to that blanky blank church. Why would I go to your church? And she pulled out the program and she goes, well, you might be interested in this. Next week, the topic is sex. What a great idea. And he goes, you got that right. I'm going. So he came. And Mike came to Christ six months later. You know, special needs child. And I watched God change this guy's life. And this was from 40 people that everybody said, God won't show up. God showed up. But if we would have kept our eyes on the obstacle and not on vertical, we might have quit. Think about that. God says to Joshua, it's already done. How about this? Think about this. People don't ever think about this. Um, you know, Anne was up here with me last, last week. And, you know, two years ago, we wrote a book called Vertical Marriage, which was based on what? Anybody know? First two chapters. Year 10, anniversary date, she says, I've lost my feelings for you. I don't know if you read it close enough, but if you read close enough, you realize she says, I'm done. I'm out. I'm in ministry, Detroit Lions chaplain, and my wife is going to divorce me. And this isn't just over a month. This is over years where she stayed in it and finally got to the point where I am not doing this anymore. This either changes or I'm out. That's chapter one and two of the book. And here we are celebrating year 40. Why? Because we're amazing? Not because I'm amazing. No. <laughs> because God is a God of miracles. Because we serve a big God. We didn't do this. God did. But we didn't quit. We hung in and we fought for our marriage. And not only did he save our marriage, 
And you heard this last week. This is craziness. He is using a kid who came from two alcoholic parents and a dad who had affairs and took me on trips with his girlfriends, who married a woman that was sexually abused. He puts us together, and we almost don't make it, but we do fight for it, and God meets us right there. And he does this. I'm not just going to save your marriage. I'm going to actually use your marriage to save other marriages. You know, you heard about it. We're on a podcast, radio show, Family Life Today, where a million people a month listen to what we're saying and who we're interviewing and their marriages. We get emails and Facebook posts every day. That program, that interview, you saved my marriage. I have hope again. Like, us? No, he did that through us. In fact, some of you heard this. We did one last Friday night and Saturday. You can't go do conferences. Nobody's inviting you into a church or a hotel to do a live conference. You have to do it from your house. So we took our bedroom and turned it into a studio. Here it is. Here's a picture of our, of our studio that we did a military conference. Don't you like my guitars hanging on the wall? Yeah, we had a, a friend that's an interior designer, Michelle. You want her name? Email me. She's fabulous. And that didn't even cost much money. That wood on that wall is stick wood. It sticks on. You didn't have to shoot nails in. It's unbelievable. And we sat right there in the corner of that couch. We have a computer and a camera and mics. And we spoke to almost 400 military couples from around the world. Some of them were watching it at 3 a.m. in the morning. And God is saving their marriages. They're, they're, they're texting into the chat bubble. How does that happen? The size of your God will determine the outcome of your life. And if you keep your eyes on your problem, you'll never take another step. But if you get, get your eyes vertically, you'll say, okay, God, I'm going to hold on. I'm going to take another step. Okay, back to the story. This is what's really cool. You get to verse 3. Here's a whole other thought. He says, march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. I have seven, pri have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the uh, ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. Now, here's the deal. You got to, again, put yourself in this story. They walk around. By the way, did the army men know how many days it was going to be? Anybody? The answer is no. This was Joshua. God's talking to Joshua. Joshua didn't tell them the whole plan. He just says, day one, guys, we're walking. Took about an hour to go nine acres. We're walking. That's it. Can you imagine being in the, the war room? You know, you, you know, getting ready for this battle and God's told you you're gonna take this city and blah, blah. You go into war room, Joshua gets up and goes, okay, guys, here's what we're gonna do. You ready? And you got your guns and you got your launchers and you got all our stuff. It's all fatigued up. And you're like, okay, what are we doing today? We're gonna take the city, right? And Josh goes, ah, we're gonna walk around it. Oh, I get it. You're gonna fear, you get them really scared. Now we're gonna go in. No, then we're gonna go home. What? Walk around it, pray, go home. What? That's it? Yeah, and then come back tomorrow. Be here at 6 a.m. I mean, that's what he did. So you imagine the soldier, think about it. He walks around. They're all like looking at each other like, you know, nothing happened. They go home. Can you imagine the wife? Hey, honey, how'd it go today? Did you kill anybody? No. What'd you do? We walked. Great. Then what'd you do? We walked and I'm home. What are you doing tomorrow? I don't know. Second day, <laughs> right? They walk around, and they come home, and honey says, hey, honey, what'd you do? We walk. What is, what, what is this? I don't know, and I don't even know how long, but we did the same thing we did yesterday. Now, here's the thing. I literally wrote it in my notes, because if you're walking, and you think God's going to do something, don't you need, like, a little sign? Like, okay, God, I'm obeying you, but give me, give me something here. I literally wrote my notes. If you want me to keep walking, I need to see a brick fall. You get it? Like, they're walking. Don't you think, you know, God could do this? And you go, oh, 
you know, did you guys see that? That little brick over there fell. I bet you, you know, if we do it tomorrow, a couple more bricks, I can see what he's doing in brick. But guess what? Nothing moved. Six days of walking. I'm not going to do it six times because it'll take forever. Although I, put, I should put my watch on and get a workout. But here's the deal. Six days, not a single brick. Have you ever been in, in, in your life and you're obeying God and you're honoring him and nothing has happened and you just get, come on, you got to give me something here, God. At least have her look at me and say, at least have him, at least have my child show some indication he's coming back. Ever been there? Come on, you got to think. They, they were there. This is how life feels sometimes. I just literally wrote my notes yesterday. You're in a marriage where you're struggling and you're praying and you're praying and you're praying for change and nothing happens. You ever been there? And I know a lot of you do, same thing I do. Every marriage conference we do, the first 15 minutes, Ann or I will say to the couples, hey, don't do what most married couples do at a marriage conference. They listen to everything for their spouse. It's not me that God wants to change. He needs to change loser husband boy here. Or, or dictator wife here. That's what we do. And you can even say sometimes they go like this, like, Holy Spirit speaking to you, honey. It's like, no, 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 no. Here's what you got to do. God's speaking to you because you can't change them, but he can. So what do you do about that? You pray. And we do the same thing. My marriage is struggling. I've been praying for change. Are you praying for you to change or for him to change? I mean, I have all kinds of categories. I could do this all day. Parenting. I've been doing the right thing. I've been lifting these kids up to God. I've been getting them to church. I've been trying to pour into them. And they're, they're rebellion and they're walking away and they're prodigals. Are they ever going to come back? I can't sleep at night. They don't sleep at night. Your job is frustrated. I had a buddy just come up. He just lost his job. He doesn't know what's going to happen. All those kinds of finances and savings are gone. Bills are coming in. I've been praying. I've been praying and praying. It's never answered. I feel stuck in my faith. I'm not growing at all. I think we've all been there. And some of you are there right now. And I guarantee that's what they were thinking. Six days and not a single brick goes. In fact, we're going to sing a song at the, end of the, at the end of the service. A lot of you know the song. It's been around for a couple of years. Do it again. And I don't know if you ever noticed the first line is, of the song. It's about this story. He says, walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall. That's what he's talking about. It's like, I thought, come on, day three, day four. <laughs> I thought by now life would be better. And you're in second year or third year or second month and maybe second decade. And it's like nothing seems just God, give me one brick. And here's what I wrote down is I think a lesson. And maybe you should write this down. Maybe during our walk, God is doing a work. You get it? Maybe during our walk, and again, we're, we're trying to obey we are obeying. We're being obedient. We're believing he's big. We're believing he's going to show up, but he just doesn't seem to be showing up. Maybe the work he's doing, we can't see. And I want to add one thought, because I think this could be the truth. Maybe during our walk, God is doing a work in us. Maybe the work he's doing is in you. This situation may or may not change. That's not what's really important in this moment. He's growing you. He's changing you. He's changing me. Maybe that's what this whole thing's about. Maybe not, but maybe it is. And it's like, here's what I wrote down. And this is sort of a sub-truth of this. Outcome is God's responsibility. What's ours? Obedience. Outcome is in his hands. Obedience is in our hands. We just have to obey. 
I mean, I'm sure there were guys saying, dude, I'm not walking around these walls another day. Nothing's happening. I'm out. Okay, they're going to miss the miracle. Others said, okay, I don't know what guy's doing. Joshua sounds nuts to me. We're going to walk around another day, and we're going to go home and be embarrassed when our wife asks us tonight what we did. But if you say that's what God has us to do, we're going to do it, and we're going to trust that he's big enough to do something we don't know, and eventually his plan's going to take place. And they had no idea it was going to be on, on day seven. <laughs> I mean, here's, here's the amazing thing to think about. They did not know how many days. Only Joshua knew. Now, anybody like me, you sort of want to know, like, how long do I have to do this? You ever been in a workout, and you're doing like a plank? You know, you're doing the workouts like I am on the screen and all these great workouts, the Nike training camp app, I mean, all this thing, because you're down there, you're down there doing a plank, you know, and you've got it locked in, and you're like, okay, okay, I'm starting to, and you look up like, is this going to be 30 more seconds or 18 minutes, right? And when you hear 30 seconds, you're like, oh, oh, I can do it, you know? Or if you hear three minutes, you're like, three minutes? Are you serious? Oh, I'm good. Hey, honey, I, I did, you know, right? It's like, like Ann and I are doing a lot of walks at night. I hope you're doing the same thing. We're walking and praying about our neighbors and trying to have six-foot conversations. But we're going on walks. But every single night when we start our walk, we put our, our, our watch on outdoor walk so we can mark this thing. And she'll look at me and go, how far are we going? And I'm the guy that's like, oh, let's just go for a walk. You know, we got it like 45 minutes, an hour. Let's go. She goes, no, no, no. How far? She got to know. And if we're going on a jog, she definitely got to know. Anybody like that? Yeah, it's the same way with God. It's like, God, how long? How long am I doing this before my marriage? How long am I doing this before I get a, a sense of my health is going to return? How am I before, like my buddy just lost his job in the COVID thing. It's like, how long before I get another one? And we all get there. It's like, God, I, I'm, I'm struggling to believe you're in it because I haven't seen a single brick. I haven't seen a single sign Anything good is going to happen, but obedience is my responsibility. I'm going to trust you with the outcome. When Ann and I started dating, then got engaged, and then got married, we had a, a mission. And again, I don't have time to get into it, but marriage is not about happiness. It's about a mission. And we were going on as soldiers together on a mission. God, use our marriage to impact the world. But we first wanted him to use our marriage to impact our families. And her family, her dad was my high school baseball coach in the summers. Her oldest brother was a coach with him. Her next brother was my center in high school. He was a year ahead of me, so he's a senior. I'm a junior. I'm the quarterback. He's the center. So that means we're real close. The hand was right there. And uh, her sister, and I knew them all. And the Barons were revered in Finley, Ohio. None of them were followers of Christ. And so Ann and I started praying when we got engaged, God, would you use us to lead all of the Barons to Christ? And we knew that he could do that, and we wanted that to happen. And so we were sort of out of control, telling them they're going to hell, and they're going to burn if they don't have Jesus. We did it all wrong, and then we tried different tactics. Well, nothing happens for years. And we thought, it's never going to happen, especially with her dad. I love her dad. He became my dad. I never had a dad. Dick was my dad. He's 91 years old right now. He's in a nursing home in Ohio, and he's locked down. He can't even leave his room because nobody's allowed in or out. And so we talk to him every day. And he's precious. His wife just died three months, three months ago, and he's just hanging on. Great man. And so he worked at Whirlpool down in Finlay, Ohio. He was on the factory floor, and he's a manager there. And I'll never forget, we're at their house probably three or four or five, ten years, I don't know, so many years in our marriage. And, you know, we, we're just trying to reach him. And he's just, you know, it's good for you, but I'm not interested. Same with her brothers. And her, her sister was pretty strong. But anyway, here's the deal. One day, 
you think, you know, it's never going to happen. Nothing's going on. He's not reacting, responding. One day, we're sitting in his kitchen. And he comes home from work, and he goes, man, we had this fight on the, on the factory floor. Not like a fist fight, but these guys were going at each other, and just yelling, and I had to step in there and break this thing up. He goes, I walked up there, and you won't believe what I said. And we're like, I don't know. What would you say? He goes, I looked at this one guy, and I go, hey, you need what David and Ann have. He goes, I didn't even know why. I said, you need what David and Ann I go, that's what you said to this guy? He goes, yeah. And so I looked at him, I go, Dick, what do, what do we have? And he looks at us, he goes, you got Jesus and that faith thing. It's so cool, it's so beautiful, and they don't have that, and they need it. And I go, what about you? Long story short, he came to Christ, not that day. And now as he dies and joins his wife in heaven, he has a glimmer. And we would have told you in, the, in those decades, it's never going to happen. Our brother Jim and Jenny came to Christ. Bill and Kathy came to Christ. Barb and the whole family came to Christ. God took years to do it. But the outcome is his. The obedience is yours. And so the question is, will you hang on? Because here's what I want to sort of close with. When they're walking around day six, I bet you there's some guy saying, dude, we've done this for six days. We got the guys back there with the trumpets, you know, the marching bands with us. I mean, come on, six days, nothing's happening. The walls aren't going down. They're, they're, I'm done. I'm not doing another day. Think about this. What if they would have quit on day six? Not knowing day seven was the day. Because they didn't know. Joshua knew. But they kept going. And they get to day seven. And Joshua says, it's a little different today. We're going to walk around, but then we're going to worship God. <laughs> you think worship's not important? It reminds you how big he is. And then we're going to blow the trumpets, and we're going to shout, and the walls are going to come down. And they got to be like, that's the plan? <laughs> that's it? <laughs> but after six days, maybe God is doing his work in them, and they're like, okay, God's up to something. We don't know what it is. This sounds crazy. But... Maybe this was all part of it. Here we go. So they did exactly what God said. They obeyed. And what happened? Woo! This is the best part of the service. Oh, you were sitting in the front row hoping you could do that, were you? Yeah, I should have had you do it. But I mean, the walls go down. And this incredible miracle happens when they do exactly what God said. Right? It's this amazing story. And we know some of the backstory now. Here's the thing I want you to walk out with. And this, I'm preaching to me just as much as you. Don't quit. You may be on day six, and you don't know a breakthrough is just around the corner. I just wrote this. Don't quit today. Tomorrow may be your breakthrough. Don't quit today on your faith, on your marriage, on your kids, on your finances, on your addiction. Don't quit today. Tomorrow may your breakthrough. It may be a week from now, maybe a year, maybe 10 years from now. It may be this afternoon. I don't know. But if you quit, you'll never experience. Just be obedient. Just hang on. Even when you have nothing left, that's where you get other people to hang on with you. Can't do this alone. And you say, God, I'm losing grip. I, I, I'm going to hang on. I'm going to just keep obeying you. And I'm going to trust that you're going to show up eventually, and it could be tonight. Breakthrough's right there. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if I've told this story in the last 10 years, but some of you might remember when I was in middle school, Back when I was in middle school, we called it junior high. Now it's middle school, same thing. But anyway, eighth grade, I ran track. 
I hated track. I only ran track because my football coach at the high school said, track will help you be in shape for the summer and football. And you're my quarterback, so I want you to run track. So I ran track and played football, basketball, baseball. So I wasn't a track guy, but I did it as training for football. So here's, I'm, I'm not like a 100-meter guy. I'm not that fast. So they put me in the 800 meters, which back then they called the 880, which is two laps, half mile, right? I hated it. I hated it. It was so long. I get to that second lap every time. I'm like, I just want to quit. I hate this. This is the worst thing ever. I never won, never won. My teammate, Tom Jones, became a singer later. No, I'm kidding. Tom Jones, literally his name, phenomenal athlete. He was my receiver in, in, in high school. He's just crazy good. He won every meet. I always got second, third, fourth, or if there are other good guys, fifth or sixth. I never won. So here's the deal. We get to the city meet, junior high city meet. There's three high middle schools in our little town, so it's a big deal. You know, this is the championship for the city. And somehow I qualify, but I'm not even going to get second now. Tom probably is going to win, and I'm going to be like seventh or eighth, right? There's like 15 in this race, right? So I decided, I didn't tell anybody, didn't even tell my mom, I'm going to run the first lap, and finally I'm going to do what I always wanted to do. I'm going to trip and fall as we go into the turn to the second lap and be done. I'm not going to win anyway. I'm going to not even get a, I'm not going to place. I literally had this all in my head. I'm just going to run the first lap. I'm going to just make it look like it really happened, but I'm going to fall and then jump up like, oh, I can catch him. Oh, I can't and walk off the track. I had it all there. And Tom Jones is going to win. And I'm going to go over and say, way to go, dude. You won for our school. So here's what happens. I mean, why am I telling you a story? Because I'll never forget this moment. Race starts. We do the 400. I come around toward the, you know, the, the second lap and I'm like in seventh place. I'm like middle of the pack, there's some behind me, but I'm never catching them. They are way up there. And so we're coming up to the first turn of the second lap, and there it is. I can see it right there. I can still see it in Finley. And I'm like, okay, right at that little mark, I'm just going to do my little thing. So I get, like I'm like five feet from that mark, and I'm running up there, and the whole group in front of me was all packed in, and they sort of bumbled up, and they all fell. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Have you ever seen it? Just, <laughs> so, and this happened right in front of me, and I'm running, and I'm about to do it, and they go, <laughs> and I'm like, and I look up, I'm in first place. There's nobody in front of me. And I'm like, you think I stopped? No way. I'm like, whoa, we're going. I, I don't know. I mean, I could never even do the second lap. I sprinted the second lap and won the city championship. There it is. I am the, the best runner in Finley, Ohio in 1970. Whatever. So I win it. And I get this thing. And Tom Jones is like, dude, way to go. You, you won for our junior high. I'm like, yeah, dude, sucker. <laughs> fell down. But they all fell. And here's the thing. And I mean it, I was five feet from quitting. And if I would have quit, I would have missed that miracle. And it was a miracle. Are you five feet from God doing something? You don't know. He may just about to be doing it. I, I love what one preacher said. I wrote it down. Where did he put it? He said, um, Oh, shoot, I want to I say it just like he did. I can't find it. Here's what he said. Live every day like it's day six or lap six. Live every day like it's your last lap because one day it will be. I don't mean you're dead. I mean it's day seven. You're like, I keep doing this. It's not changing. My son's fighting an addiction and it's not changing or I'm fighting an addiction and I'm not getting control. He says, keep fighting, don't quit. My marriage is never, some of you have lost hope, it's never, ever, don't quit. 
single person. I'm never, ever gonna get married. And I know some of you married people are like, that's okay. <laughs> Trust me. Single person, hang on. You don't know God's plan. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know. But it's day six, don't quit. Your breakthrough is right there. Think of the nation of Israel. If they rebelled at day six and said, Joshua, this is just stupid. We're going home. We're not showing up tomorrow. I'm sure God would have done it a different way, but they would have missed it. And I guarantee that story was the story at the dinner table for the rest of their lives. Can I just say, hang on one more day. Keep your eyes vertical, not horizontal, vertical. And again, let me just remind you, the best way to do this is open that word of God, not one hour a week. This doesn't do it. You will be so frustrated in your faith if this is the only word time you get. You think I'm going to be able to make you have faith? You've got a daily grind. It's like a workout. You don't get a new body one hour a week. You go after it, and the same thing's true of your faith. Go after God. I got to see you. I need you right now. Cody has said many times, I love this statement. He says, if Jesus is all I need, I don't know him well enough for him to be all I need. And I think that's true for many of us. Do you know him? Because when you know him, you go, you, 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 you'll go like this. You'll go, oh my goodness, you are amazing. Not because he's doing everything you want, just because you're seeing him. You're like, okay, I'm going to hold on. I'm going to fight for this. I'm going to hold on. I'm going to... I'm, gonna, I'm not quitting. Because maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe this year, maybe next year, I don't know when, but I know who's in control and I'm gonna trust him and I'm gonna hang on. And then when we sing this song, man, this song maybe needs to be a prayer. God, you did it in the past. You moved mountains in the past. I'm gonna trust just a little bit. I'm gonna trust you're gonna do it again. Father God, I pray. There's someone watching or sitting here right now. They're hurting. It's dark in their life. You know. They can't see any light, and yet you're right there. Your victory is right there, and yet it's covered up, or they've lost hope, or they've given up faith, or they've just given up. God, I pray that you would give them just enough to help them take another step today, just another day. And Lord, I do pray for a breakthrough. I do pray for your presence and your peace and your power to be made known in their lives, in my life, in our life. God, we are going to hang on. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, day seven is coming. And we're going to believe that's, that's a reality. We don't know when, but you do. And we're going to trust you and we're going to obey you and let the results be yours. So God, meet us. Even as we sing, God, I pray you meet us right here in this moment. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing. Let's worship God.
But you have never failed me yet Waiting for change to come Knowing the battle's won For you have never failed me yet Your promise still stands Great is your faithfulness
promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never failed. Come on, you sing. You promise still. I'm still in your hands You never failed me yet No, you never failed me yet You're still the God who moves mountains. You're still moving mountains. Breakthrough is coming.
Tell you what, it's a gift to have these people do this, isn't it? It really is a way to go, go out of here. And I tell you what, just let me remind you of something that sometimes is bad theology. I've seen you move. You move the mountains, and I believe you'll do it again. You made a way, and I believe. And here's what some of us think. Well, he's not doing it, so I guess I don't believe enough. I got to have more. I got to believe like they do. They have more faith. And if I have more faith, then God, no, it's not based on your faith. It's based on who he is. He's God. So don't walk out of here going, I just got to believe more. No, you just need mustard seed faith. You got to see who he is. And that'll give you enough to get through the next day. I mean, Matthias just sang spontaneously for a breakthrough. Maybe today's your day. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe this week. I don't know. But I'll remind you one last thing. Get in the word. Walk it out. It's one thing to read and study, and they'll do it. No, walk means, I don't know the third W. I just in there, like, there's three W's. Word, walk, and people. Weeple, whatever. You got to have people with you. Woman, you need a woman with you. That works. Men, you don't need a woman, unless it's your wife, but not somebody else's. Okay, get it. You need the word. You need to walk it out. And somebody give me a W for people. But you need community. You can't do this alone. And I know you got to be six feet distance, but you still need people in your life to know you're struggling to say, I'll walk with you to the breakthrough. Hey, that rhymes. I'll walk with you to the breakthrough. All right? So I'm with you. We're together. Let's see God do something. By the way, if you need to pray, because sometimes these kind of messages, man, I, I, I'm carrying something. Our prayer room's right back there. You don't need to go in the lobby. It's right there. You can, get, you can enter it right from here. Go back there. Somebody would love to take that burden with you. Give it to Jesus and you can walk out lighter and free. God bless you. Have a great week. See you next week. God bless. Bye-bye.